Welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prame, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack. On your Tuesday edition, getting you ready for Washington State rivalry game? Is, is that what, <laughs> what this is? Uh, we're going to discuss at length that, uh, as well as some more information we gleaned with speaking with head coach Mario Cristobal, offensive coordinator Joe Moorhead, defense coordinator Tim DeRuder following their final review of the game at Washington and their early kind of look ahead to Washington State. And let's go back first to injuries. Um, Jared, you've got the news from Crystal Ball here, kind of a mixed bag of sorts. Yes, sir. Yeah, so Crystal Ball started off by mentioning that uh, they got good news on Ryan Walk. Uh, they seemingly feared that it was a season-ending injury, but it is not a season-ending injury, which is very good news to hear for Oregon. Uh, Chris Ball did say that he'll have three to four weeks to heal up, uh, which kind of sounds similar to how he talked about Jackson Powers Johnson, who he mentioned, good segue, that he would be good to go in this upcoming game against Washington State. Um, he also had another offensive line note on Stephen Jones, just so that he got nicked up and should be good to go as well. Uh, said that he was he's tough and that he's been awesome this season. So go, Stephen. Uh, the other Stephen, oh, transitions are great today. Stephen's injury is a little more significant than Cristobal originally thought. Uh, they are still unsure on when Steve Stevens will return. Um, Cristobal was also asked about Jalen Jeffers and Jalen Davies, who did not make the trip, but that was strictly on a numbers uh, cut. So it's pretty good news. Um, the Steve Stevens one is going to hurt because he had been you know, such a significant part of the defense for uh, this entire season, and he's one of the more trusted safeties that they have back there. But Jordan Happel, who returned off an injury, played well against Washington, uh, and they'll you know be relying on him a lot for the rest of the way. Um, uh, no, no mention of Alex Forsythe this week on the injury report, uh, which is a good thing. He played most of the game against Washington on Saturday, including basically all of the second half after uh, Ryan Walk was injured. So it should be a combination of, of Forsythe back at center with Jackson Powers Johnson maybe at a guard to start the game or uh, either Stephen Jones or George Moore. You know, the Ducks are, you know, kind of still staying healthy. Uh, the other than the Steve Stevens injury, it sounds like people were, you know, came out of that win against Washington. Okay. Yeah, I, I think from an injury standpoint, this game comes out probably. Um, obviously, you don't want anyone to get hurt, and that's the best case scenario. But this is probably as close as of a best case scenario from an injury standpoint as you could get. Um, aside from everyone just walking off and everyone coming off being, hey, that, they're actually fine. We'll we'll be we'll be fine. Um, I, I mean, I, it's. I just want to say it's tough that Ryan Walk's going to miss any time because he's playing so well. Yeah. But, but I mean, absolutely to your point. Like, and I thought, I think we all kind of expected that was a season ending. The fact that, and you do three, you do the math there, three to four weeks. That's basically postseason. You're talking about maybe conference championships. So that's a tough pill to swallow. Good news was Alex Forsythe coming back to to fill in and Jackson Powers Johnson too. But you hate to see it with Ryan. Just it's played so well this year and such a fan favorite now. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll discuss more here in a little bit about just kind of the shakeup of the offensive line moving forward without them. But to kind of wrap up the UW portion of this one, Crystal Ball uh, and, and the Ducks in that fourth quarter had the ball at the one-yard line. And 
you kind of wondered what were they going to do with 10 seconds left ultimately the clock ran out no play was run i think the the first instance so Oregon just chose not to score and i loved this answer from joe moorhead oregon's offensive coordinator no they they were trying to score and you know he didn't say this part but they were they were trying to send them just yet again another message to the high yeah, no doubt about it. And and the, the issue here was it sounds like a communication issue of some sort between uh, Alex Forsyth trying to get the right communication to his offensive line and Alec, back to Anthony Brown to snap it. Ten seconds on the clock, I guess not the urgency you wanted, but they wanted to put the ball in the end zone there. And I think you're right. I mean, I don't think you're right. I know you're right. They wanted to send a message. And I think they already sent a message by winning the football game, but they sure wanted to put the ball in the end zone one more time and make it very clear who the better football team was, make it clear who was the more dominant team when the game mattered most and who could finish the game stronger. And that was obviously Oregon, despite some real you know, mistakes at the end of the game. There are a couple penalties, one of which I think we don't think was a good call, the other one which was. Um, but they really wanted to send a message there, and I, I agree with Matt. I loved that message from Moorhead. You know, he was asked about that and made it very clear, no, we were not trying to kill the clock. We were not content not coming away with points there we wanted to put the ball in the end zone we wanted to send the message and unfortunately they weren't able to get the snap off and you know you, you, you move on with that i guess and i think alex Forsyth played a pretty good game overall sounds yeah. like maybe that was one instance where you kind of go would have been nice to get that snap down and obviously they they really wanted to put it in there to, to kind of finalize that game yeah we we had a couple of discussions on our trip up to seattle about if oregon found themselves in a situation where they might try to run up the score, like would they, and especially with all the extracurricular off-field activities, you know, that Washington basically brought upon themselves, you know, it became clear today or on Monday that it, it, it they wanted to. And I don't, I don't blame them. Uh, I don't necessarily know how many style points that would have earned them in terms of like the college football playoff selection committee, but um, I think a 17 point win would be would look just on paper much different than a 10 point win um yeah, i thought it was really interesting that they were going to go for it um on like live it was it was it was really interesting that they still lined up like they were going to go for it and then when the yeah. clock started to tick down it's like oh, all right well they're just kind of they're just yeah. sending their offense out there but yeah, I mean, Byron Cardwell almost scored the play before. So it's yeah. not like they were just saying, whatever, we're just going to take our three yards and, you know, we're going to go to the end of the game. It's like Byron still had a heck of a run to come, you know, a half yard short of scoring. So I would have liked it if they ran the play and scored. I think that would have been fun. It would have been a great cap to a otherwise, like, just pure dominant game from Oregon. I would have loved to see it. I wanted to see it. Yeah. I, I think – that, like you said, that would have been a perfect kip of the cap to that game um, and what it meant for both teams. And interesting enough, um, Mario Cristobal today, or I, I, we're recording this on Monday afternoon. We spoke with him on Monday, and he was asked about Washington State. And I don't think he meant this as a troll to Washington. Maybe he did. Uh. And if he did, it, it's awesome. But it worked. I, I think he was generally just speaking the truth, a little bit of that, hey, every week is our Super Bowl mentality. Every game is a big game. Every game is a playoff. And I think he ultimately highly respects the Cougar program because, let's be real, they have been very difficult to beat um, 
for Oregon in the last, what, I think last six games, they Oregon is two and four against Washington State in the last four, but they are two and two. And he came out and said Washington State, from a competitive standpoint, from how these two teams play each other, is as big of a rival as there is for the Duck football program. Maybe that's a slight at Washington. Social media certainly is taking it that way. Um, but I think it's also some respect to the Cougars in that this is a team that at one point in time was viewed as a pushover and was one that was you could automatically chalk it up as a win and is no longer the case. I think part of the reason this feels like a slight at Washington is it comes a couple of days after that game. Yes. And if, let's say Washington State was being played in three weeks and he makes that comment. I don't think it really ruffles feathers. But right coming off of a really emotional game where – there might have been a video leaked of him talking about how badly they didn't like the other team and and, and kind of, you know, the, the fieriness of that rivalry and that kind of those games. It, the, the timing of it kind of makes you think maybe there was something more to it. He's not wrong at all. And actually, if you were to I might I might write a story on this in the next day or two. Um, it might even be up by the time you, see, you listen to this podcast. But just comparing like, is that true from a factual score to score perspective? I think it absolutely has to be. You look at what mm -hmm. Washington Washington State has you know how they've competed with Oregon since 2014? Um, you know, 2014, of course, the year where Oregon plays for a national championship. That they win that game, Oregon does by seven points in Pullman, and that really was the beginning of what's been a really competitive series. Uh, Washington State won the next four games in the in that series, uh, two of them in dominant fashion by three or three or more scores. 2019, Oregon needs a Camden Lewis field goal to win. Back in 2020, which would be obviously Rolovich's first and only meeting against Oregon, uh, that is a game where Oregon plays terrible out of the gate, turns it over, I think, three times out of their first five possessions or something like that. Washington takes a big lead. Oregon rallies. It's maybe Tyler Shuck's best half of football in that season in terms of getting them back. They win by a couple scores to make it the most lopsided from an Oregon perspective since 2013 in this rivalry. But you stack up those last seven games that these teams have played and it's been really competitive. And if it hasn't been competitive, it's been Washington State being the one on the up, getting the upper hand. And probably aside from Stanford, I can't think of another series here in this Pac-12 where you have games that are always this competitive. I mean, obviously the Washington series has not been that for a long time. There were yeah. some competitive games the last few years, but even the two games Oregon lost total totally lopsided in Washington's favor. Before that, a decade or almost, you know, more than a decade of very dominant wins by Oregon. Oregon, Oregon State now, you've seen that rivalry pick up a little bit last year with the Oregon State win. But think about how dominant those games were the two years prior to that. A couple of, I think the one with Willie Taggart being the most lopsided in the rivalry's history. And you go through an all and down list if you want to. You go look at the USC games. Oregon has won those games handedly. Uh, you look at the Cal games. Those games have been pretty competitive, but Oregon always wins those games almost. And, I, we don't have to belabor the point, but I, he's not wrong. Like there is factual evidence to saying that, and I kind of I'm here for it. And I think it's important also to kind of acknowledge early in the week the significance of this game because this kind of has all the makings of a trap game, right? You get the mm -hmm. emotional win on the road against the Washington team that was doing all the chirping. Washington State has been a disaster, mostly off the field recently. A lot of a whirlwind, I think, was the word that Mario used or Joe Moorhead used to describe it, just in terms of the way it's been. It's all sorts of stuff that's happened. And Washington State's come through it almost unscathed. Their only loss being a two-point loss to BYU um, you know, in between four Pac-12 wins. So 
the Cougars have been playing well. They're coming off a bye week. Again, it's off an emotional Oregon win. The series is always close. I think it's important for him to send that message early in the week to fans, to his team even, to say, hey, this one's going to be tough. Don't overlook this one, even though Oregon is – what was the opening line, Matt? Like 15 points? Pretty. Uh, we were surprised 16. by that. Yeah, we were surprised by that. I know we talked about that shortly after the Washington game. What would the line be? And I think we all thought it would be between 5 and 10 points. It's, yeah, I said 5. You said you 5. You were like, whoa. Yeah, we thought you were a little bit – we thought it was like 10 to 12, but I don't think any yeah. of us were like it's going to be more than two scores. So um, I think Mario kind of is recognizing, hey, don't no, – there can't be a letdown game. And saying that is a way to uh, – Yeah, I, this is definitely a game where it can be a possible trap game, a letdown game. Um, I like, like to look at these as like a looking up, look forward game because yeah. Oregon obviously is probably going to have their eyes mostly set on Utah in two weeks but i mean this is this is what mario cristobal does he prepares his team you know better than most people in the country honestly um and sometimes it might not look like that because they play flat against you know not as talented opponents but uh in in years past this this rivalry has certainly heated up uh it certainly has been made a lot more interesting on and off the field when during mike leach's tenure at washington state um the air raid always gave Oregon fits um, that game in 2019 where Oregon seemed to do no wrong on offense, just absolutely killed Washington state in the run game. CJ Fidel, I don't, I don't know the stats off the top of my head, but had just an amazing game. And I think that was still, like, I think that was like 250 yards. I think that was yeah. the highest of his career. Yeah. I think it was too. And even still didn't matter. They still needed a game winning field goal from Camden Lewis and a, Huge catch and run by Juwan Johnson to get down there. It's these games are fun. They are even more interesting this year, especially given Washington State's success in the last five weeks. They're off the field turmoil. Um, Jaden Tavara is playing really, really well right now. That's a team that's firing on all cylinders. And if you're Oregon, <laughs> this isn't the best time of the year to play them. You know, if they were to play Washington State in one of their first two or three conference games, it might be a different story. But now that they've kind of figured out uh, that Washington State has figured out what they are offensively and defensively, you know, it's going to be another physical matchup. Uh, we heard or Tim DeRuiter talked about it a bit and just that, you know, they're going to get uh, challenged a lot against Washington State. And he, he made a mention that, you know, under Mike Leach, Washington State didn't really run the ball. You could um, – you know, kind of get away with with going with a lot of defensive backs on the field, but that's not the case anymore. They've stuck to the run this year with Max Borgie, and it's just going to be another good game, and it has to be a game where Oregon is prepared and steps up out of the gate and doesn't let themselves fall into a hole because Washington State's offense can score. Uh, it's, a good, it's a good offense. It's a good quarterback with a gunslinger mentality. So that might get them, them into some trouble with some interceptions, but it might turn into a lot of big chunk plays. I think what's really interesting is when I think Cristobal knows when he and his team are are going to go up against another opponent that's going to bring forth a a different level of physicality, a different level of football, um, because he will then go into referencing. I mean, much like he did against UCLA, he will start referencing this is a senior laden team. This is a team that's got a lot of fifth year seniors, fifth mm -hmm. fourth year juniors, and and this year alone, a lot of guys that are 60-year players. 
And he did that against Washington State. He brought up how so many of their guys in the starting lineup are seniors or juniors and, and how they've been through the rigors of the college football season before and they know what to expect and they know how to play football. And, he, I mean, go back to the rivalry comment. He talked a lot about how just the sound of football against Washington State is very similar to what Oregon is. And I, I think we're in line for a game that's going to require Oregon's best effort on both sides of the football because you cannot have lapses in play on either side. I think defensively, this is going to be probably one of the tougher matchups that Oregon will see all year because, like Jared said, they, they no longer are just laying in on the passing attack they have the run game. I mean, Calvin, uh, Calvin Jackson, or not Calvin Jackson, um, Max Borgie is terrific. I mean, he, he can do anything that you want out of that group. Deion McIntosh, as we saw last year, was legit. And they've got a really solid one-two punch. But then they're equally as good throwing the football. Two of their five, two of the five best receivers in the conference, statistically, are with Washington State. Calvin Jackson Jr. and Travell Harris, um, two guys that are seniors that have been around the block more than once and both have multiple touchdowns. And this is We talked last week about how Steve Stevens' injury was going to be impactful because what's Jordan Happel going to be able to do? Are they going to have to play Brian Addison a lot? This is the game, I think, where we're really going to see the impact of no Steve Stevens in this football game. That's a great point, Matt, and I think a good mm -hmm. transition into some of that because you're right. Washington, not not a good passing offense, period. I haven't really been all season. It had some moments that were good, not great. Those conditions made it even harder to throw the ball, and neither offense threw it effectively. We don't know, by the way, the weather conditions this weekend. I don't think it'll be a full torrential downpour like it was up in Seattle. Um, it could be a wet game. Regardless, it'll be easier, I think, to – to throw the ball just because it won't be as bad. I have a hard time believing it could be, honestly. It seems like every time we go up to Seattle, it's just a brutal place to cover a football game, even though we're technically inside. The window's open. We're sitting right there. You know, it's right in November. It's cold. Some of that will still be the case at Otson, but it's not going to be quite as bad, I don't think. But but the point is, like, yeah, we thought Jordan Happel played great. He did. He made the, mm -hmm. the lone interception there made all the more impressive by the fact he's got a huge cast on his hand or a huge club. And Tim Druder talked about how hard that is and how he was just hoping he didn't, you know, kind of like fumble the ball back up into the air or something and that he just came down with it. Impressive that he was able to do that. But he's going to be challenged in a lot of different ways than he was against Washington. And Jordan Happel has always been decent, maybe a little above average in, in pass, you know, I should say in, in run, against the run. I think at times he struggled against the pass just in terms of he has lacks a little of that athletic ability, that speed. Steve Stevens, not perfect. We've talked about him. And I think, honestly, an argument that he was the weakest, probably not an argument, probably was just straight up the weakest defensive back starting. That doesn't mean he's terrible. But it means that they, the next player has to step his game up to try to at least be at that level. And you're right. There's going to be challenges this week that didn't exist simply against Washington. And I think Apple has to play at a high level. I think you're going to see probably some more Damon David. You probably will see more Brian Addison. Because when they do go mm -hmm. into that dime formation, he's out there as that deep safety. Um, you probably are going to see Oregon and dime more in this game than you have in 
maybe since Ohio State, you know, or, or at least probably since, yeah, probably since Ohio State. I'm trying to think through some of these offenses that would have challenged you vertically in the passing game that would require you to play there a lot. And Oregon hasn't faced a lot. I mean, kind of think about the offense Oregon has been facing. A lot of them have been power type football offenses. This is a shift. This is a change. And it's going to require Jordan Happel to play at a higher level. It's going to require all the defensive backs to play at a high level. And I think especially those cornerbacks, right? I mean, we feel really good about what we've seen from Mikael Wright and DJ James for the most part this season. But they're going to be challenged in ways this week that they just simply haven't been in a long time. Yep. Yeah, I mean, this is a huge game for the defensive backs. I think we've all kind of wondered how good this group can be. Um, I don't really know that they've been challenged too much. And this is certainly going to be that test. It's a test every single year at Washington State, whether it's the air raid or now they're running the run and gun system. Uh, it's you know, Tim DeRuiter talked about uh, the coverage and how they're just they're just going to be challenged all game long with it. And you know this is a this is a huge matchup for Michael Wright and Trekwise Bridges, Dante Manning. Um, if they want to try to if they want to play one of the freshman cornerbacks, it's it's on them to to really make a difference. Um, I think it's really also on the defensive line to make some sort of an impact and get Delora frustrated or try to hopefully keep him contained, but, you know, force him into bad throws. Um, I think he has a little bit, like, like Tim DeRuiter said, he has that gunslinger mentality and if they get him into pressure and force him just to make an, any type of read, you know, maybe he feels too confident in his arm and that's going to get him in trouble, but you know, defensive pressure, is going to lead to you know, better coverage down the field. Um, regardless though, I'm excited. Should be a good game. I checked the weather. It's a uh, morning showers on Saturday in Eugene. Mm. This is <laughs> another 7:30 PM game. So hopefully it'll be uh, a little drier than it was in Seattle and maybe a little warmer. I don't know. I, I kind of doubt that aspect of it. Oh, I don't know. Anything's a lot warmer. Yeah. Wind in your face with torrential downpour and 40 degree weather as we stated. Um, <laughs> it's, a yeah. it's a nightmare up there. Every Matt, we've been, we've been a slight digression. We've been up there like four or five times. I feel like every time it's the worst. Screw I just that place, man. Like, it's the worst. worst. <laughs> you you want to use a different word that we use a lot on the drive, but we won't say it. <laughs> no, I do not. That will get me in trouble with <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And I'm talking just the stadium. I Yes. It's the greatest setting in sports, but it's also right on a freaking lake and it's cold. <laughs> Can I digress real quick? Keep yeah. it going. Yeah. The the greatest setting in college football being Husky Stadium is ridiculous. It's not true. I can't believe I can't believe they they tout themselves as that. Like that you go watch a game and, and just at Ohio State where we were at, we went down on the field after and we're in awe of that stadium. I don't think any of us who went down to the field at Husky Stadium were going to sit there and be like, wow, look at this place. Greatest setting in college football. It's the greatest setting in college football in July. <laughs> sure. Yeah, the spring game. My digression, my digression is over, yeah. It's the best spring game stadium ever. There you go. Mm-hmm. All right. That's a tradition from trashing Husky Stadium. For exactly <laughs> yeah, I, had to, I had to get it out. <laughs> um. Looking at, we'll end it here, back to the offensive line. I, I think I, we all agreed, I think, on our Monday show that they may not have the best five offensive linemen, but you may have a hard time finding another team in college football that's got as talented and as deep and as consistent 
um, of an offensive line seven or eight guys deep as Oregon. And now, yet again, they're dealing with another injury, another shuffle of sorts along the offensive line with Ryan Walk out for the next foreseeable future. Um, Jackson Powers Johnson back available. Alex Forsyth is playing again. I'm curious just what does this offensive line look like? Do we continue to see – I mean, first and foremost, has TJ Bass positioned himself as the bookend left tackle of this offensive line, and he will not be moved off it no matter what? Are we at that point yet? I think so. I think that's the case. I am. I would be surprised if he's not the left tackle the rest of the way. Um, maybe they – I mean, maybe this whole thing – I don't know. I, I have a hard time seeing him move back inside. He's been so good out there. Yeah. And it's not like he played poorly the last game. I mean, I, I'm more curious to see what they do at guard, honestly. Um, mm-hmm. We think so, – Wayne Forsyth – and by the way, I just want to make the point that I think they've had like a different starting offensive line combination – like almost every week this season, it yeah. feels like there have been so many different reshufflings at the beginning of the season. They were just trying to find the right group, and then so many players have gone in and out of the lineup. And you know, it seems like anytime a player comes back, another one goes out, and that's what's happened this week. Where you've got, hey, Forsythe's back, cool. Now Ryan Watt can go back and play guard, and then Walk goes down, and now it's well, at least Jackson Powers Johnson is back, so that helps their numbers. But now Ryan Walk might be out for the rest of the regular season. I mean, it's just tough what they've had to go through here, you know, and I don't know. I, I feel for those guys. I especially feel for Ryan Walk. That's hard. I mean, he's mm-hmm. been playing so well and, you know, football at, at this level is, is only finite and, you know, we don't know what his professional prospectus is, but, you know, his best football could be at this level and for him to miss any period of time is tough with how much he's put into it. So I know that's the case for every football player, but I don't know. Ryan, Ryan in particular, just with the kind of journey to get here, it feels notable in terms of what they do, to replace him, I, I think obviously left tackle. I think is TJ Bass. Center is Alex Forsythe. I think the right side of the line still stays the same with Stephen Jones and, and Big Saul over there. I feel like that's going to be the way it goes. The question is left guard, and there's like legitimately three candidates here. Um, George Moore being the one I might lean with being the most likely. You agree with that, Jared? I mean, he's 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 the I most mean, senior experience of the group. He probably played more there than any of these guys last game, at least. Is he is he your best option? I don't know. Because against UCLA, Oregon started Jackson Powers Johnson at left guard. Yeah. Is Jackson and, and the question is you notice is, when yeah, is, is I was just gonna say, like the question is is Jackson healthy enough to, to play like a full game if they asked him right. to? Yeah. Or third option with Dawson Taramillo. Exactly. Dawson's a third option. And my only thought here in terms of a correlation with Jackson coming, Powers Johnson coming back from injury is that Alex Forsythe just came back from injury and did not start the game. Now, obviously, there was a much clearer reason for that, which is that Ryan Watt could earn the the ability to continue to start there. Um, And I would have been really interested to see what they did going forward had Ryan not gotten hurt, because I think that would have been a legitimate thing where they would maybe continue to rotate or maybe Alex plays a little left guard. I mean, that's how good Ryan had been playing. I mean, I don't know yeah. that in terms of Alex playing left guard because Alex didn't, he played center exclusively. Um, I probably would lean towards George Moore from an experience perspective, but I wouldn't be surprised in any of those guys, honestly. And I wouldn't even be surprised mm-hmm. to see a, a major reshuffling where somebody, who knows, like you could see maybe somebody from the right side come and play over to the left side. And maybe you want Dawson Jaramillo to play, right guard instead of left guard. I, mean, I have no idea. There are so many combinations with this group. I think the best bet, though, is that it is as simple as 
you go with what you've been doing. Obviously, that means Alex Forsyth replaces Ryan Walk. And then at left guard is probably George Moore, Jackson Powers Johnson to start. Um, I still think Dawson Jaramillo plays a lot of snaps, as he has all season, and deservedly so. At any time, I mean, shoot, he's played every position, I think, on this line besides center in games this year. Mm-hmm. That versatility is so valuable. So he'll continue to play a lot. I would just say of the three, based on starting experience, he still hasn't made a start. I would imagine it would be either Moore or Jackson Powers Johnson. I, I think oftentimes, Eric, you and I align pretty quickly here. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm going to disagree. I don't think we see JPJ start. I think it's going to be Dawson. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I have a hard time seeing Cristobal throwing an offensive lineman who hasn't played the last two games um, into the full, especially as a true freshman. He didn't I mean, think about how important Alex Forsyth is to this team and injury. I mean, Cristobal said that he played and practiced all week getting ready and he didn't start in that game. Right. They kind of eased him in. I, I think Dawson and George are going to be the starters at guard. And one of them may eventually get replaced by JPJ as he maybe gets his feet wet and gets his footing a little bit. But And is, this is kind of a long-winded answer of getting to like what we say about in basketball. It's not who starts the games, it's who ends the games. But I, I think early on we might see JPJ come off the bench, especially if as just a, maybe as a precaution if, if Forsyth has a back flare-up. I, Sure. Is that? I mean, I still think that could be a possibility. I mean, is he all the way back? Is he good to go? I mean, we're going to speak with him hopefully later today um, on Tuesday. But maybe it's a maybe it's a case where it, it could be a he, his his back still isn't all the way all there yet. But I, I think also Dawson uh, he's earned the right to have the opportunity to start. I think. I, in my in my eyes, um, unless they just look at the Washington State defensive line, and I'll be honest, I've maybe watched two or three games of Washington State this season, um, not in totality either. But I don't think maybe I'm wrong here, but I don't think their their defensive line has a Hercules, um, has a guy that is just super athletic and crazy and they have a ton of athleticism along that spot like they've had the last couple of years and just to so be I clear have... i I, th- I think it'll be george moore just to be clear and i, I agree with you and Dawson, or on jackson powers johnson i we i kind of made a similar point before i think they probably won't start him based upon the foresight thing but dawson dawson or george one of those two would be like my guess yeah so i've, I've kept track of who was the starting center for oregon versus washington for at least the first half because it you know Ryan Walk was injured in the second half. So Forsyth had two drives in the first half as center, and then Ryan Walk had six the remaining drives in the first half. You know, obviously, in the third quarter, Ryan Walk goes down. Um, Post-Ryan Walk injury, offensive line was from left tackle to right tackle. It was TJ Bass, George Moore, Alex Forsyth, Stephen Jones, and Big Sala at the right tackle position. So I, I agree with Eric. I think that's going to be the five that start. Um, I don't necessarily think there's going to be a huge drop-off if uh, Dawson Jarmillo starts. I think that he's played really well this season. Um, I, I, For some reason, I feel like Oregon likes to play Dawson more at the tackles than at the guards. He's actually done a really good job setting edges for Oregon's rushing game. Um, 
Now, that could just be something that I've noticed that doesn't have any correlation at all with anything on Earth. <laughs> I think, I think you're right there. I, so that's that's just what I've seen. Um, but yeah, that 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 five of Bass, Moore, Forsyth, Jones, and Big Sala, I think that's going to be the starting five. Um, it's really helpful that you know Jackson Paris Johnson comes back. It's it's almost coincidental that they yeah. lose a guard slash center, and then oh hey, they get another guard slash center off the off the injured list. Um, plus, Jackson Paris Johnson's been really good this year. You know, he hasn't played nearly as much as as Walker Forsyth, but um, against UCLA in, in the in the first half. He was really good. Um, I really like his overall prospectus of being an offensive lineman at Oregon. I think he's going to be really, really good here. Um, but yeah, I, I, like like to Matt's point, I don't know if I, I wouldn't rush him in unless I really have to, um, which is what it looked like Oregon was going to do with Forsyth until Walk went down with an injury. Um, wild take, <laughs> maybe, maybe at one point. Alex Forsyth moves to left guard, and Jack Spires Johnson goes to center. Anybody? I don't know. I'll no? pass. No. I'll yeah, pass. I, I mean, just I mean, just the way they talked about Forsyth, he was the second team all conference center. So unless I'm it's going like, to pass too. Okay. <laughs> <It's> just <laughs> playing devil's advocate. I'm like, Very devil's advocate. How many combinations can we have? Well, I, I, and I, I did have want to have one thought here um, before we wrap up the offensive line talk because we we obviously there's a lot to get to hypothetically like let's say worst case scenario but just because it has been worst case scenario for the offensive line i hope i'm not jinxing anything but let's say jackson Powers johnson really isn't as available as it seems let's say foresight does have a back issue i mean he's missed the last you know for the last five games with injury um and a couple of times it was hey he's gonna play and then he doesn't who's the next guy they throw into the rotation harper that would be my guess and that's the guy we haven't seen like really play at all <laughs> i mean and, and this is i might i this is such a deep group that I don't think it's terrible right. anyway because I think Dawson and between Dawson and George, one of those guys is fills in and and they can make it work. And obviously at center, you're looking at can we see Dawson take Dawson probably to Dawson is probably the center in that hypothetical. I'm just I'm just in my head going like, who is the next person because they've played I think eight guys pretty regularly, but not a yeah. night. I've got a name, Eric, for a center. I hope I love it. <laughs> it's Kai Kai Arneson. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he traveled. He, he traveled did. with the team up to Seattle. He's yeah, fifth string center. Kai Arneson, Jared's favorite player on the Oregon football team. By far. <laughs> Not even a question. Good <laughs> for us here <laughs> on the Ox and the Huddles podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. Uh enjoy that duck doubleheader basketball game tonight. Uh Matt Matt Arena. Uh Jared and I will be at the men's side. Um, I think Eric, Jared, and Aaron will be at the women's side. Um, Doubleheader, Matt Matt Arena. So look for coverage later today, later tonight, tomorrow morning uh, on those games on DuckTerritory.com. And until we talk to you on Wednesday with our previews uh, and picking the week's games in the Pac-12, you've been listening to the Odds and Audible's podcast. Talk to you there, folks. Peace.